Welcome to Mocktails and Masterpieces with the Indianapolis Chamber Orchestra. Today's episode is sponsored by Anthony Team Realty. My name is Aaron Deal. I'm a, a jazz pianist. I won the uh, 2011 uh, Cole Porter Fellowship uh, with the American Pianist Association. And um, uh, I've gotten to know Indianapolis over the years, uh, really since probably 2010. Uh, and uh, I'm a Midwesterner uh, from Columbus, Ohio, born and raised, moved, in, moved to New York in 2003 and been uh, uh, here ever since. I live in Brooklyn now and um, I'm really excited to be returning to Indianapolis performing uh, the Zodiac Suite by the great Mary Lou Williams. So my grandfather was a jazz musician. He was a trombonist and also played keyboard uh, piano. Um, I grew up in a family that really valued music, uh, of course, with my grandfather. Uh, my mother and my father both uh, collected music. They had a ton of CDs uh, and some vinyl when uh, I was growing up. And um, my mother uh, one time recalled a story where she and my dad took me to some kind of event or a party or something. Uh, and there was a live band playing and I probably was a toddler, maybe like two years old. And uh, I was completely pacified and um, enchanted by the sound of the music. And I, I my mom said I, I was just staring at the musicians and just watching uh, watching them and listening to um, the performance. And when I was, I'd say about five uh, years old, my parents got a piano in their living room and my grandfather would occasionally come over and play it and I'd be curious about what he was doing. And um, I'd start sort of noodling around on the keys um, from time to time in their living room. And so I think they, uh, they, they, they had uh, the prudence uh, to uh, enroll me into formal piano lessons. And that was really the start of my musical journey um, with piano specifically. And, and I, my first teacher was a lady named Joanne Hall. And um, I was with her for about I don't know, maybe about a year or two. I'm not quite sure. Uh, and this was at the Capital University Music uh, Community Music School in in Bexley. And uh, at, there was a point where Miss um, Hall uh, acknowledged that I had reached a certain point in um, my studies with her, and she wanted me to continue and to advance. Um, onto another instructor. So uh, ultimately I landed uh, with a wonderful woman uh, with whom I still keep in touch. Her name's Paula Radzinski. And um, uh, really with, with Mrs. Radzinski, I'd say that uh, uh, a lot of my love for classical music really blossomed, um, including Bach and Beethoven, uh, uh, Schumann, and there was a point though in probably my high school years where 
I was really fascinated with the idea of improvisation, specifically jazz improvisation, because my grandfather was a jazz musician. And I, uh, I, I wanted to, to start to investigate that whole realm. And um, so there were a number of opportunities that I had in Columbus, including like, uh, well, first of all, the Columbus Youth Jazz Orchestra, which uh, was led by Todd Stoll, who's actually in New York now. He's an education director at Jazz and Lincoln Center. But uh, Todd really gave me the first opportunity to play in a big band um, setting with my peers, other than my high school jazz band, uh, which, you know, that the level was, uh, was a varying uh, range in terms of level, but the, the Columbus Youth Jazz Orchestra was really a very strong uh, high school orchestra. It was you know, students from different parts of central Ohio uh, that had to audition to get in. And, um, so that was sort of my, I'd say about 14 or 15 was my journey, start of my journey with jazz. And then um, through Todd, I met Wynton Marsalis and, and Wynton um, mentored me you know, from a young age and he encouraged me um, to uh, enroll or audition uh, for Juilliard and ultimately I got in. Um, so um yeah I've been fortunate to have a number of teachers and mentors and people who really encouraged me and and sort of recognized my my own love and passion for music that's really exciting um the zodiac suite so I'll be honest uh, it's new to me um we kind of came out of a conversation we had with our creative partner and Matthew we were talking about jazz and how we might you know, play something with the chamber orchestra, you know, our, the instrumentation is somewhat a challenge. There's not a whole lot of music written. This was the exact conversation we had. We were talking about having an arrangement made and um, our creative partner, Joshua, who I hope you meet when you're in town um, said, well, what about the Mary Lou Williams Zodiac Suite? So I think we all quickly went to, you know, Spotify and um, YouTube and listened to some recordings and were really excited and then saw your connection with the piece and of course APA. So tell me a little bit about um, maybe your discovery of the piece, its evolution. I mean, you've put a whole lot into your own parts essentially. Um, and then I just read your message to Amy Lou about um, the publisher and kind of the initial challenges this piece that Mary Lou Williams faced herself um, in the publication process. So, you know, in a nutshell, can you share some of that? Well, Mary Lou, first of all, Mary Lou Williams was a prolific uh, pianist, jazz pianist, composer. And uh, she really was like, I always tell people who are kind of in a classical world who don't, who aren't so familiar with sort of the jazz uh, uh, lineage. Uh, I say that Mary Lou Williams was to um, uh, Thelonious Monk and Dizzy Gillespie and uh, Bud Powell what uh, Nadia Boulanger was to many people uh, in the early part of the 20th century, uh, early to mid 20th century. And uh, uh, Mary Lou was a, was a great teacher and she really, um, was the sort of the catalyst between the early swing era. Uh, she played for years with uh, 
uh, Andy Kirk and his Clouds of Joy out of Kansas City. And um, she was the kind of the, the, the catalyst between that era and the, the burgeoning um, style of what they call bebop and, and beyond. And she really, she kept up with the times and stayed relevant really artistically um, as uh, the music evolved uh, and also as she evolved. And the Zodiac Suite was written in um, 1944 with her trio. It was a recorded uh, piano based drums uh, for um, Moash's label, um, Folkways. And um, in 45, she had the opportunity to score it for a chamber orchestra. Uh, and um, she was at the time uh, friends, and they, I think they might have even dated uh, with a, a, a man named Milton Orant, who was a staff arranger at NBC. And uh, Orant uh, coached her and 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 gave her lessons on orchestration, and and so this arrangement of the Zodiac Suite. Um, was uh, written for a premiere at the town hall in 1945, actually uh, December 31st, New Year's Eve, 1945. The performance uh, was not very strong because uh, I mean, and I'm sure many composers today, uh, even uh, uh, they experience this where there's not enough rehearsal time, you get, you know, how many hours, two hours on a piece that's brand new. And there are also issues with um, copying errors and, and some other challenges that, that came about with this particular arrangement where Barely was so frustrated with the performance that she um, shelved it, shelved the, the, the arrangement and, and never really saw the light of day. There is a recording that, um, it's later released after her death in the 90s uh, of the town hall premiere that you can find. I think it's called the town hall concert 1945 or something like that. And you can hear all of the, the issues. I mean, the uh, sometimes the orchestra is, in, is, is not together, uh, intonation issues. Um, there would be instances where uh, Mary Lou would simply tacit the orchestral parts and cover uh, a whole movement uh, on the piano. So um, it needed more time. It needed more time and um, uh, it also just needed more um, detail in terms of uh, you know, the parts and the scores that, you know, that there were errors there that needed to be corrected, you know, on the copying work and everything. So just a number of issues that come together. Uh, I think maybe about six, seven years ago, uh, the uh, publisher, Jazz Lines Publications, they published this arrangement um, with the permission of uh, the Mary Lou Williams Foundation. Uh, I guess Milton Orrin's estate had uh, the parts and the, the original parts and everything. Uh, and so when this was published uh, a few years back, you know, even with the, the uh, 
you know, the public, the, the edited version, there were still mistakes there. Um, and the, the way I found that out was I just kind of uh, scrutinized this chamber ensemble arrangement against her original trio arrangement. And, you know, a lot of times there'd just be accidentals or there's one movement Aquarius that was the way it was barred, um, you know, meaning like how it, it's a four, four it's cut time. It was, it was barred very uh, strangely. And so it's very hard musician for musicians, especially orchestral musicians who are used to everything being very clean and clear. It was very hard for them to decipher exactly what was going on. So uh, I tried to work a bit with Rob DeBoff with at uh, Jazz Lines. Uh, I went over to Saratoga Springs where the, their offices are in upstate New York. And um, we spent a whole afternoon kind of going over things and you know, figuring out what was the intention behind um, the, something that was written. Was it meant to be that way? Or, you know, maybe it was just uh, simply a mistake. So it's been a, an ongoing process, excuse me, for, you know, going on two years now uh, and some trial and error. Uh, fortunately, um, I had the opportunity to record it with the Knights Orchestra and Eric Jacobson, uh, conductor and cellist. And Eric has, has really um, been a, behind this project 100%. And honestly, without him and without the Knights Orchestra, I don't know if this uh, project would uh, be as far along as it is now in terms of uh, realizing really what is the essence of this music and what was Mary Lou really going for. Um, we spent countless numbers of hours re rehearsing and we've had some performances playing certain movements of the Zodiac. And so having that uh, luxury of uh, being able to perform a number of times certain movements and, and, and uh, uh, prepare for performances, that's something that is very unusual in the orchestral world. So um, it, that was very helpful. The, the New York Phil actually uh, streamed it. Uh, they were the first person, uh, first person, the first uh, uh, ensemble to decide that they wanted to actually um, uh, feature this work, although it was just three, uh, four movements we did. Uh, and that was like at the height of COVID or like when things were just starting to open up a little bit, uh, March 2021. And so uh, really that was the start of this whole journey. It's like if, you know, the New York Phil um, has some kind of interest in, in um, revealing this work, I think it's worth uh, continuing and, and seeing uh, how it develops. And it's been really overwhelming, uh, the interest that um, ensembles have had for the piece and j just, being curious about what it is. I mean, each each uh, movement is a zodiac sign, right? It starts with Aries and ends with Pisces. And um, Mary Lou employed a number of, of uh, techniques in each movement to give a, a certain kind of um, um, imagery, if you will, for each of those signs. And those signs are also, uh, those movements, excuse me, were dedicated to certain musicians who held those signs as well. 
So I think there's just in general, like on a um, on a mass scale, there's always interest in the zodiacs uh, uh, signs, and you know how many people ask you like, "What's your sign?" kind of thing. But I think um, uh, when you zoom in the lens a bit, you know, with Mary Lou, this uh, piece is as sweet as really one of her kind of tour de force pieces. I think she's probably most well known for this, this uh, composition, her, her trio um, recordings of it. Talk to me about the, the group of musicians that are coming with you um, that have been playing this with you with orchestra. Um, it's not something we typically do as a chamber orchestra to have this sort of setup. So it's kind of exciting actually. Well, you know, it's always, it's always, um, sort of like a um, big question mark, you know, how to uh, blend the sounds of American um, uh, jazz music uh, within the uh, sound world of the, the orchestral environment. And, you know, uh, there've been a lot of people who've attempted it with varying degrees. Uh, I'm very lucky to have musicians who um, understand a bit of that world. For example, David, David Wong was a classical bass major at Juilliard. And I remember having uh, being in a jazz ensemble with him uh, my first year, because he's about, he was about three years ahead of me. Uh, and he uh, was playing bass in this ensemble. And I was like, I've never seen you in the jazz program. He says, Oh no, I'm um I'm in the classical bass program. That's you know that's my major. And after he graduated, uh, he completely devoted his energy and his time uh, to to playing jazz. I mean, he's playing played with greats like Jimmy Heath, Roy Haynes, Charles uh, McPherson. Uh, so he's a very seasoned uh, musician. Uh, both in the the jazz realm and then also his you know his uh, foundation um, in the orchestral world is is also there. Same with Aaron uh, Kimmel who plays drums. And uh, you know what what's so challenging um, in this music is you know, finding drummers who understand all the vocabulary. Uh, but are also very sensitive and don't play too loud and overplay the band. Um, and I'm not even talking about with the orchestra, I'm just talking about just general in, in a small ensemble. So uh, he's incredibly valuable uh, with a piece like this because, you know, when you're playing with strings and uh, winds and everything, I mean, you've, you've got to understand uh, how all of these instruments operate sonically and how you can support them without being overbearing. And he uh, definitely brings that quality to the music. So um, there are not really many movements that are squarely in the jazz vein or squarely in the classical vein. There's one movement called Virgo uh, right in the middle uh, that is very much a, a harkens to like the back to the, the Kansas City swing sound. But other than that, it's it's really a, a kind of a mixed bag. Uh, there's one uh, piece, Sagittarius, that really only features the winds. It's kind of a wind ensemble movement. Um, there's there's a general sound of uh, uh, you can hear the influence on 
uh, the cinematic sound of that era, uh, kind of the Hollywood sound, if you will, of that era uh, in the string writing in a piece like, for example, uh, in a movement like Capricorn, which is number 10. So it's it's hard to really pinpoint what this piece is. Um, and so I'm I'm always really excited to be working with different ensembles and kind of getting their impressions of how to play it um, and how best to approach it. So do you have a favorite movement? Uh, do I have a favorite movement? Uh, you know what, I have to say Libra is probably my favorite movement. Uh, and I'm not a Libra, but um, it, it's just beautiful, really beautiful melody. And um, it was also dedicated to the great Ohioan pianist Art Tatum. So yeah, it's probably my favorite. To your knowledge, um, did Mary Lou Williams have like a strong connection to astrology or just was inspired by the, the theme? I think, I think during the time, there's a really good, a couple of good biographies on Mary Lou, uh, but one was um, written a few years back by Tammy Kernodal. Uh, and it's called Soul on Soul, Soul on Soul. And um, I think in that one, she talks a little bit about Mary's fascination with astrology, but I'm not 100% sure. I Obviously, she knew something. She had some interest in it. How deep it was, I'm not quite sure. Um, it's simply that I'm looking forward to uh, being back in Indianapolis and um yeah, being a part of that great community that's there and i hope uh, people are able to come out and, and enjoy the wonderful uh, music of mary lou williams and the zodiac suite thank you so much aaron i appreciate your time hello again and welcome to another episode of mocktails and masterpieces with the indianapolis chamber orchestra i'm dana stone the executive director and i'm here today again with dion from milkman's daughter uh, we're partnering with Milkman's Daughter as we kick off this new expanded podcast version of Mocktails and Masterpieces. And in celebration of our 40th season and our season opener, which is uh, later this month, uh, we'll be tasting a cocktail that she, mocktail, that she made <laughs> with the Zodiac, Mary Lou Williams Zodiac Suite and Aaron Deal in mind. So uh, Dion, please share a little bit about this mocktail that you created. Yeah, for sure. Of course. I'd love to. Um, so the mocktail that we created, um, a no GNT. So um, like I like we've spoke about in the past, uh, I like to really make sure that I take the, the complexities of spirits in mind um, and just take out the alcohol. Like I really wish it were that easy. You know, like here, let me just like sift out like my alcohol and like also the calories when I consume things, but right, but we can't. So um, I kind of go from the ground up. I know that gin is a juniper forward spirit. So I put some juniper berries in there. Um, and then I really went with like, um, what makes a GNT, a GNT like taste wise, and also like the mouthfeel. So I added some cucumbers, because um, if you think of Hendrix, if you think of cucumbers, I also uh, use limes and grapefruit. Uh, I don't know about you, but anytime I listen to, uh, especially like classic music, I just love, it's either bourbon or gin. I don't know what it is, but I'm like, right, cool. So when 
this was presented to me, I was like, I definitely want to do a no GNT. Yeah, this is delicious. Um, I know we talked earlier um, that gin is not my drink of choice, but I definitely do taste that kind of natural earthy kind of flavors that, you know, you mentioned with the juniper and pine, you had mentioned that before too. Um, I am tasting this, um, it's definitely complex again, like some of your other beverages that you've made, like there's a lot of flavor happening, but they're not competing. They're blending so well that I can't identify what they are. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I'm enjoying tasting this and um, I hope that you enjoy this upcoming episode with Aaron Deal and that you join us um, at the Indianapolis Chamber Orchestra for our upcoming season. Thank you to Milkman's daughter, to Dion, and to Anthony Team Realty for supporting this expansion into our podcast and for all of our followers for supporting the Chamber Orchestra. We'll see you soon.